Hello, this is the Neurodivergent Woman podcast. I'm Monique Mitchelson and I'm a clinical psychologist. And I'm Michelle Livock and I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. This is a podcast where we center and showcase neurodivergent women from all walks of life. Covering autism to ADHD and everything in between, we aim to educate and inspire women who think differently. Today we have Harriet Dunn on the podcast. Harriet is dyslexic and she's a film and TV editor, set designer and costume designer. So tell us, when did you first realise that you were dyslexic? I probably started noticing it in year three to four when we were doing the spelling test at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. And I would have been studying for it the whole week, morning and night, like standing in my mum's bathroom saying out the spelling to the words every morning before school. I remember doing that to try to memorise and then I'd still be getting like fives out of 20. And then as primary school went on, then I would be in composite classes and I'd be doing the grade below spelling. Can I, can I ask you too, like, did you realize when you, you know, when you're in later grades and you're in a composite class and you were doing grades below, Mm. was that very apparent to you? Yeah. Well, it was apparent because we used to have to say our um, marks out loud. Oh my God, that's horrendous. (laughs) Yeah. And then I would always be included in the younger grades marks. Yeah, so it was obvious. It was obvious to everyone else. Plus, I used to go and do the the separate classes. Like um, learning yeah. support. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no one really ever thought into that. I think it's because I excelled so much in sport and art. Yeah, well, it sounds like it, um, you know, maybe like your parents and, and school and stuff was like, well, it's not that important because you have these other kind of areas of strength. Do you think that was the case? Yeah, well, my mum didn't mind because she knew I was going to be okay when I was older Mm -hmm. and that I was really aware and switched on. So I guess it didn't Mm -hmm. matter because I'd catch up eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit, like we talked a bit about primary school, when you went into high school, how, like what was that like? Yeah, high school was difficult because that was when I started to care about other people seeing me as dumb or stupid because I didn't do those sports in high school so that wasn't really what they were focusing on Mm. yeah I got more self-conscious about it because at my school it was quite academic focused and our rankings would be posted in year 12 and 11 on like these big pieces of paper and everyone would go see them at break and then I would Mm. always be pretty close to the bottom you were saying in primary school that, um, you know, it was just sort of something that was managed and you had like learning yeah. strategies and you went to a learning support group. Um, in high school, was it ever identified or were there ever any accommodations or anything that, um, you know, was sort of put in place to support you in high school? No, no. Okay. All in high school, I had really good ways to deal with it that people didn't notice that I was like that at all until it came to having to read out loud and then being a lot slower at reading than everyone else because I'd have to reread what I just read like three times to understand what Mm -hmm. I had just read. Mm -hmm. I really hated high school. I used to like cry every day on the way. Mm -hmm. And and why was that? Like what in particular was really tricky about high school, do you reckon? Well, I guess it was almost like a personality trait for me being dumb. Mm. So it's kind of like you every day you had to go to this place that was reinforcing this kind of negative self-belief 
for you. Yeah. That would have been really horrible. Shows how traumatizing people's experiences at school can actually be. And like even working as a therapist, people will come in in their 40s and 50s still talking about how their low self-worth came from their school experiences and feeling like crap about themselves. Mm. Um, And they're still carrying that around as 40, 50, 60-year-olds and it's really sad. And you mentioned that you had some of your own strategies and things that you would do to try and help yourself through high school. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? To remember the spelling of certain words or to remember what letters were what I would have little things that I would do that would help me figure it out. So, oh my god, that's amazing! Like what? Like, well, G, J, and Y always I get mixed up and I forget what is what. Yeah. But my dad's name is Jake, and I can always picture what his name looks like when it's written down, so mm-hmm. then I know that that's what J is. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whenever I have to think of J, I picture my dad's name. Yeah, and then I would just rem- I would make up little things to remember the order of the spelling in a word. So I have an example. Should yeah. I an example? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll do this to, like, everything basically, and I guess I learned how to do this in high school, which then made my spelling a lot better. So the words angel and angle were tricky because in maths, if you would spell, misspell something, you could get marks taken off of the right. exam. So yeah. I had to think of ways to remember the spelling mm-hmm. of that. Words. So, yeah, so for ang- angle and angel, I used to say that the in angel, the E comes right after comes right after the G because the E is closer to G and G is God, which is in heaven, which is angel. And I don't mm. know, that's just how I would No, I, lo- I love that. That's mm. so interesting. It's really interesting what you were saying about how you would remember J and being like you would imagine your dad's name kind of mm. spelt out. Um, it's kind of like what we were talking about before, Monique, around that difference between alphabetic-based systems and logographic-based mm. systems where in an alphabetic system like English, um, what you're supposed to do in inverted commas is remember what letters, what sound goes with the letter. But you were like, no, I'm going to remember it logographically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. And so you would have like almost like little rhymes or stories or yeah. narratives to help you recall um, what, what letters went where. So in terms of your own reading and understanding, it sounds like you had a lot of strategies to kind of get around that. But then when it came to reading out loud or a situation where you were sort of on the spot, it was obviously quite tricky to kind of put those things in place quickly. And one of the things I wanted to ask about is you mentioned before that you have to read something a few times Mm. to get the comprehension side of it. Can you explain to us or um, describe like why that is or what's going on on those different readings? Yeah, so for the first time it's usually really jumbled and I have to read with the ruler Mm -hmm. to keep my place and then move it down per line to then find the next line. Or if I didn't have a ruler, I would do that with my fingers Mm -hmm. and just follow across. So that helped a lot. So the first time I read it, I just read it and I don't even know what, I just read and then the next time it's I'm like getting it but I wouldn't be able to like I'm getting it but I wouldn't be able to tell someone what it 
mm-hmm. was about. If that's kind of though, it's worse when I'm in an exam situation because I feel the pressure of needing to read it quicker. And mm. whenever I can't get it, it stresses me out. Mm. But then by the third time, I know what I've read because when I read words, when I read the words in my head, I'm able, I like say the word slowly and like nod to anchor it in Mm -hmm. and I find that that always works a lot or I overpronounce words as I'm saying it slowly and then that helps it also stay in my head longer yeah Yeah. so I had to read like out loud in my head yeah that makes total sense it's almost like and and tell me if this feels wrong or, or not um it's almost like the first reading is just literally like decoding the text and actually kind of working your way through it. Then the second reading is kind of understanding what the words are. Yeah. And then the third reading is, okay, I can actually sit with this and put those things together and and comprehend the overarching kind of meaning of yeah. that. I assume that a word is something when it's not actually what the word is when I read it mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. first time. Yeah. And then by the third time I'm like, oh, that's actually that word. Yeah. And I find that I do that a lot with reading. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Also, um, I really liked what you were saying then about almost like um, like a physical strategy that helps you cement that word. Like you were saying, I kind of like nod it into my brain. Yeah. Um, it's almost like pairing it with something else, like some sort of other stimulus. So Harriet talked about how the support dropped away for her in high school, um, which isn't mm-hmm. ideal. So... I guess what would you ideally want to see in terms of in high school, how the school can support people um, with accommodations and things like that? What would you recommend? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's an interesting one because often in primary schools like those kind of literacy supports um, and and learning supports, reading supports, um, there's a lot of opportunity or, or more opportunity than in high school for that, right? Once we get to high school, it's sort of assumed that that doesn't need to be worked on anymore. Um, and exactly as you experience Harriet, it's almost like, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> yeah. um, something that can be really helpful, um, and this is where a diagnosis can help, is um, like accommodations. Things like being able to have audiobooks or like voice to text stuff, mm-hmm. um, like more time in exams so that, you know, you do have the time to kind of do your, the three-part, you know, decoding and reading because it's kind of taking into consideration the fact that, for people who have dyslexia, there's an additional barrier to actually comprehending. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Harriet, is did you feel like, um, you know, in high school, probably high school is easier to remember, um, in high school when people were kind of having really like verbal heavy lessons and they would just talk, 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 talking the whole time, was that ever like tricky to follow or that was fine? It was just literally the reading. When I used to listen to the teachers talk, I would not even really hear what they would say or listen to Mm. what they would say if I wasn't fully invested in the conversation. So I needed to take down lots of notes to go back and re-read what I had just written a lot of the time. Mm. And, yeah, if I'm not, like, fully paying attention, then I won't even know what was just said. That sounds like that would have cost so much energy in the school day, like having to give a lesson your like 110% attention to be able to follow what they're saying. Yeah, and then I would then 
pay too much attention to having to pay attention, <laughs> which would then take my focus away from what's yeah. going on to me trying to stay focused on what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I used to get around that by just sitting at the very front of the class so mm-hmm. that I would just be like staring at the whiteboard or them and taking lots of notes. Yeah. And okay. I still do that now. I still take notes with like everything that I'm told because I hate asking a question twice as well. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do I hate asking a question twice? Yeah. Uh, I hate asking a question twice to in a like professional setting because I don't want to seem dumb or like I yeah. wasn't listening to them when I was. Yeah. I guess. Do you feel like, um, because, you know, you're talking a little bit earlier about how in high school, um, you know, having your grades posted and always sort of feeling like you're close to the bottom, Mm. do you feel like that affected how you saw yourself, like how smart you think you are and like how you kind of carry yourself in the world? Yeah, it made me feel dumb and stupid and like I was being laughed at. I have lots of self-doubt because sometimes I'll just assume that I'll mess it up before Mm. it's even happened. So then I take lots of steps to not mess it up, which Mm. is tiring being like that all the time. Did you ever experience um, getting bullied in primary school or high school about your dyslexia or even now as an adult? Well, I didn't know that I was dyslexic in primary school or high school until the very end when I was looking more into it because it was like obvious that it wasn't just me not understanding what I was reading it was like when I was looking at writing it would feel like I was drunk almost Mm. in the way that I would read and I did I was I wasn't really bullied because well no I was actually (laughs) (laughs) oh oh hang on a second I was (laughs) we don't you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to I know I I will it's fine Well, it's weird because I wasn't bullied in the way of, like, people making fun of me and being, like... Like name-calling. Yeah, I was never called names or no one ever did anything, like, vicious to me, but I would be, like, laughed at when Mm. I would have to say my answer out loud or... Mm -hmm. I was just more worried about people thinking I was... Well, people people thought I was a bit dumb, I feel which more hurt my confidence because yeah. I was, I'm not dumb, but I definitely thought I was dumb for a while there from yeah. all that. Like I had a teacher once and at the beginning of the year she said, write us a letter so that we know more about you. And I wrote her this letter just being like, oh, just I can read, but just please don't randomly ask me to read in front of the class. And then like the next lesson, what'd she do? She, like, oh got God. this thing for me to read out loud on my sister, so I had to, like, prove to her that. Mm. Oh, my God. That's yeah. horrible. And it was, like, really bad. Like, mm. yeah. I sounded so dumb. Mm. Like, when I read out loud, when I'm under pressure, it's, like, it seems like, the, I don't know. Well, I mean, before you were talking about the fact that when you read, you almost need three goes because you've got to um, – almost separate all the different processes involved in reading you know you Mm. can do one process and then you add the next one and you add the other one under that and if you're having to read out loud particularly when there's anxiety at play because you're in front of a crowd or you know your class um you're having to kind of 
consciously and actively do all those three processes at once um, with anxiety as well. So it makes sense that it sort of like doesn't work. It's like a traffic jam. Yeah, yeah. It was – so that made me – I never had anxiety before high school and then Mm. that made me have anxiety like the constantly having to read out loud to people. I think that's such a good point, Harriet, around – you know, feeling you felt like you were dumb and then you felt like other people thought that. And it sort of goes back to what we were saying um, in a previous episode, Monique, around, you know, in our society, we've sort of moralized reading, right, in a Mm -hmm. way that we haven't moralized any other learning difficulty or any other strength or weakness. It's like if you're not good at reading, um, that means something about you, that says something about you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like, oh, Michelle isn't good at art, so therefore she's a dum-dum. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Whereas most of the time in history, only the very rich people would actually be get taught how to read yeah. and write. Like, uh, or if you're a, mm-hmm. a monk living in a monastery and that was your job to read or write and the majority of the population didn't learn those skills. Yeah. So it wouldn't yeah. have really been a big deal. Exactly. I think that's such a good point. And now, you know, we're at a point in history where um, we just think it's normal that every single person goes to school um, and learns in a particular way. And obviously that's a good thing. You know, it's good that we've got education and and whatever. Um, But at no other point in history did everyone go to school and kind of be expected to do these like very particular ways of existing and learning. Um, And we're kind of in this weird teething zone period where we're like, well, everyone should get an education, but we haven't quite worked out how to make learning work for everyone. And we're sort of like, well, if you don't do it in this one way, then too bad. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, like I was never taught the ways that I made up to help myself reading ever. I Mm. like made them up. And I guess by me not showing that, by me not being taught that, they didn't think that I had those capabilities therefore no one really thought I was dyslexic Mm, I would say mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah like my I guess my mum and my dad always knew something was up because when I was when I used to write my name I used to write my name backwards and Uh mirrored like Mm -hmm. I used to write my letters the wrong way around Um, so can you tell us about uh, how you got diagnosed? Uh, what Did someone test you or were you assessed or was it something that you found out yourself? Well, I'm not officially diagnosed. Yeah, that's totally okay because a lot of people who do get missed in primary school or high school don't get the opportunity to get official testing or assessment. Um, and self-diagnosis is really valid, especially if you've done a lot of research on it yourself and you know you've seen a lot of the signs of it um, of dyslexia and it's actually really tricky to diagnose and test for dyslexia in adults because there's not really good normative information about adult reading like there's some um but not great and then also exactly as you were saying harriet most people who are adults who have dyslexia have probably had a lifetime of learning these little like tricks and ways of getting around it that it would be really tricky to Mm. identify so i think as an adult a self-diagnosis is completely valid Mm. Well, I think I realized that it was dyslexia when I would do a lot of the little niche things that Mm -hmm. dyslexics do. Like I didn't realize that 
doing random capitalization was a thing that people with dyslexia do. And I always do that throughout my sentences by accident when I think that there should be. Mm. And then I still don't know now what my lefts and rights are until last year I thought that West was down because in my brain I just thought West makes sense that it's down. West just always sounded like it should be down to me. And I just always thought that. And just a couple of years ago it registered that it wasn't down. And then that's that. Can I just make a comment on that? That is so interesting because, and again, I don't know if I'm just like making this up in my head, but um, I find that so fascinating because it's almost like for you, words have a complete contextual meaning. Like you've talked a few times about how um, different words like feel like something or it just feels like it should be this, which is almost like that idea of a word isn't made up of phonemes in the way that it is to say a fluent alphabetic reader. A word is a concept or a feeling or carries um, a meaning beyond like the specific phonetic code. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think I have synesthesia, so that Mm. could make sense in that because I've always felt that different colours are different feelings in my body. Mm -hmm. Like falling over and scraping your knee would be the colour brown or kinking your neck, and you know when you get that Mm -hmm. really weird, that feels like the colour pink to me. Mm. That's so interesting. I'm like, oh, that's pink. That's what it feels like. It's just interesting how the neurodivergencies overlap. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, So you were saying um, that there's a couple things that kind of um, triggered to you that, okay, this isn't just me you know, being bad at reading. This is something that's actually going on. Is there anything else that was a trigger to you or those were the main ones? Well, I had a friend that was dyslexic throughout primary school and high school that we went to primary school and high school together and we would always be doing mm-hmm. the same tests and would be in the same composite class together. Right. And I, whenever she would have to do reading out loud and she would get really upset, I felt like I knew how she felt when she was mm-hmm. reading because we used to read the same. Mm-hmm. So... So it was kind of like a process of just putting all the pieces together. Yeah. Looking mm-hmm. back and seeing all these clues. And I guess I put um, spelling of words in the wrong order. So mm-hmm. noticing that I did that a lot yeah, was also a trigger because I'd spell a lot of stuff wrong. Tell us a little bit about how being dyslexic has impacted your work life as an adult mm-hmm. or if it has. Yeah, it's impacted me in the way that I get really nervous whenever I have to send emails because I always spell stuff wrong and I have awful grammar. So I just feel like I come across as being unprofessional or like I'm not proofreading anything, meaning I'm not trying enough to care to proofread. And when I edit, if someone's like, oh, click on that, I will, it'll take me time to like figure out what they're talking about. So it could make my editing look like I'm a slow editor when I'm not really a slow editor. I just Mm -hmm. don't know what word they mean. Like when they say, oh, click on that, it takes me a while to figure out what Mm. to click on. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's like you once you know, uh, it's totally fine, but it's almost like decoding the language as as people are speaking it as well and working out what exactly they mean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like coming across as though I'm not as capable as I am. I don't want someone to feel like they have to 
proofread something before they send it to a client because I don't want to seem like I wouldn't be able to do that task. Mm -hmm. So that affects my work life in that way. Does that mean that you spend a lot more time than you think other people might in composing emails, doing things like that? Yeah, I spend ages writing an email and then I always either ask my sister or my mum to read it before I send it off Mm -hmm. because I'm just like, does this even make sense? And I'll read something 50 times and I won't pick up on a spelling mistake that I that is so obvious and it sounds like maybe in a super like a verbal heavy environment and if it's like also if you're like anxious or stressed and maybe if it's like a time pressure like someone saying okay I need you to do this and click on here and do that yeah. does that sometimes get a bit jumbled and it sort of feels a bit yeah overwhelming yeah whenever there's like a time crunch with someone that doesn't know that I have difficulties doing that I can feel Mm-hmm. I get really stressed out, which then makes it even worse. When I'm under the stress of not knowing the person, it makes it worse as well. Yeah, absolutely. I can completely understand that because it's sort of like you wanting to maybe make a good impression or you don't know how they're going to react um, to you. Yeah, well, whenever I work with a new producer or new directors or anything, that makes me really nervous because I want them to want to work with me again. Mm-hmm. Do you ever self-disclose about dyslexia or learning difficulties at work? Well, I have, like, a couple of times when it's been, like, it's like, oh, what's that's really weird that she sure. didn't know that. Then I will say something. Like, we, were, I was editing while there were a bunch of other people in the room and I was being told, oh, do that. And I was just, like, I couldn't find it on the screen and it was, like, awkward almost by how long it was taking me. How do people respond if you do self-disclose are they understanding do they seem to know about dyslexia yeah they're always really understanding which then makes my family just be like oh you should just say it straight up because Mm. then you won't have to be put in that position of being stressed out but I don't I don't know I don't really go around saying it because I don't want it to sound like an excuse I don't know plus I also feel like I have a bit of imposter syndrome since I'm not diagnosed, so I feel weird also just going around saying that I'm dyslexic. Mm. That's a really interesting point, and I think a lot of people who um, kind of identify with a certain neurodiversity or, you know, something that they haven't been, you know, quote-unquote officially diagnosed for Mm -hmm. have that same experience. Um, And I guess I would argue that people who aren't dyslexic don't think they are. (laughs) (laughs) like someone who's not dyslexic is like it's not like oh maybe I have dyslexia yeah that's true so you know I know that it can be a hard thing to um get past but I would urge you to get past it yeah I've never Um, thought about it like that but that's yeah so true yeah yeah do you feel like then you know as per like your family's advice um that it might make things easier to kind of disclose earlier on rather than later on? Or is that still something that you feel a bit anxious about? Yeah, I think it would be better to do it earlier because then they would understand why I was doing that and they wouldn't come to a conclusion in their head that could Mm. be like that could make them not want to rehire me because they're just like, oh, she doesn't know how to write an email. Mm. When if they already knew that, then they would understand more and know that that wasn't a reflection of who I am it's human nature that we try and find meaning in behavior 
Like mm-hmm. we're always trying to be like, what does this behavior mean? And exactly as you just said, Harriet, sometimes when people don't realize that that's what's going on, they actually might make it mean something. Yeah. Like what you don't want them to make it mean, you know, that, oh, she's unprofessional or she didn't put time into this or, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing. Whereas I think sometimes when we supply the meaning for someone, yeah. doesn't actually mean any of those things, I'm dyslexic. Um, then it kind of prevents them from forming those opinions and ideas. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, that was what it was like with – when I was younger, I used to never say ever. My friends didn't – I didn't know, even know I was dyslexic until later high school. So then my friends would all also – kind of think I was a bit stupid Mm -hmm. but then once they knew then they didn't think that anymore Mm. so it definitely does help Mm. with that so Michelle I'm just curious a lot of the neurodivergences do have a genetic component is dyslexia one of those yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the strongest, um, I guess, uh, causes or drivers of it. Um, usually, though, it's a mix of a couple things. So um, it might be someone who has a genetic predisposition to being more of a logographic reader rather than an alphabetic reader. Um, and then if they you know, happen to be, say, in prep or really early primary that um, support the development of, you know, their kind of phonetic decoding skills or kind of works with the way that their brain kind of learns information, um, functionally it might not look as bad or, you know, it might not be as much difficulty as someone who has that exact same genetic predisposition and doesn't receive instruction in the right way for them or, you know, focused on on developing that. So it's a little bit of a mixture of environment and genetic predisposition, like we were talking about Mm. in, you know, a previous episode, whether something's actually a problem is completely dependent on the environment that it's Mm in. Um, And so some people just get like a double whammy. Um, The environment's not (laughs) right and they've got the genetic predisposition um and then other people have maybe it looks less severe because of differences you know in those two things yeah yeah so it sounds like that early intervention recognition and support is really important yeah absolutely the earlier that you can kind of pick um reading issues up the better because then you can have quite focused early intervention and that's not because again that's not because there's anything wrong or bad about you know, reading in a different way, but it's because unfortunately we just live in a society where this is the only way Mm -hmm. that you have Mm -hmm. to read Um, and having some support around uh, developing those areas of the brain, developing those skills can make life a little bit easier going forward. Um, But like I was saying earlier, you know, there's also a lot of accommodations in terms of the way that you might structure your learning, right? So things like audiobooks, um, voice to text, breaking things down into steps. So, um, you know, Harriet, like you were talking about emails, um, I don't know if this would work for you or would be relevant, but it could even be the process of actually just maybe saying what you wanted to say and not worrying about sentence structure and then going through and editing it after the fact. Um, you know, putting some of those um, strategies in place can help to make things mm-hmm. a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my grandma's also dyslexic. Right. There so, you go. <laughs> and she's also extremely creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. 
and my dad is a bit as well so I guess it runs right. down yeah. that way yeah mm. um I was just gonna ask like if you had any top tips for other people that might be struggling with dyslexia or any advice for them or like encouragement maybe yeah top tips would have to be thinking of different ways to remember stuff rather than just saying it over and over again in your head like making up little songs or little rhymes or associating different letters with specific things that could help reading with a ruler also really helps me um Having a really good support system that will always be willing to help you when it comes to spelling instead of just getting, like, annoyed that they have to read your assignment. Reading out loud slowly also really helps for me. You're not actually stupid or dumb. You just don't know how to spell. Yeah, But it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean, like, anything at all. I think that's a really important point around Uh, not being able to spell, not actually meaning anything Um, because we're talking before around how, you know, as humans, we often are looking for what does this behavior mean? And um, we said a couple of times, you know, as a society, we've really moralized reading and writing and spelling and literacy as almost like the pinnacle of intelligence or worth. Um, But it actually doesn't mean that. (laughs) So I think, you know, almost deconditioning yourself would you say from that belief I definitely did have to decondition myself from thinking that but that didn't really happen from me telling myself that I wasn't stupid or dumb Mm. it happened from me realizing that it was because I was dyslexic and from excelling in other parts of my life so much Mm. in other areas that I think you you'd have to be very smart to excel in that I already do. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Even though it's hard for me to do spelling and copying down numbers and stuff like that, I'm also, it also makes me really creative in the way of being able to problem solve Mm. and thinking of new ideas. It's made me really, really creative because I guess I've had to use my brain more creatively Mm. in my life. It's a great point. Than I feel like... Mm kids around me were yeah just wrote learning or whatever and you had to figure it out for yourself yeah I'm able to see a video and just like think of a whole concept for a video and the color grading and the sound and everything just from looking at it so it helps me Mm. with work because my job's creative yeah Mm. so that's good so it's like playing to your strengths yeah I, I think that's an interesting point that you know sometimes when we do have to work a little bit harder um, and you have had to come up with all these creative solutions um, to getting through high school and, and you know, doing the, the tasks that you need to do at high school. That's almost created um, all these like lateral thinking kind of avenues in your brain. Um, and now, you know, in a work context, because you are in a creative job, that's actually been beneficial. Yeah, yeah. I'm not mad that I have dyslexia, mm. if anything, I'm not happy that I have it, but I'm not mad that I have it because yeah. I do think in a different way, which is an edge in the field that I'm in, yeah. being creative. And I think too, um, you know, we spend 13 years of our life in school and when you're young, that's a really long time. Like when you're in school, that is the only life experience that you have mm-hmm. and 
it's really important to hold on and get through school because you have 60 to 70 more years after that where you can do what you want and you can at least yeah (laughs) yeah yeah if not more and you can do whatever you want to do um you know you've you've got a really good career um you're doing really exciting things um so it's hard for people to see that when they're in school but once you get out things are easier normally So listening to Harriet's story, I think it's really clear that it is so important for people to be identified and picked up Mm. really young with dyslexia um, because you can see that uh, the issues just start to snowball and really do affect people's self-worth going through school and that can really damage their self-worth going through into adulthood as well. Um, She really used her strengths and her creative skills to find strategies to work with her dyslexia. And you can see that she's carried that further into adulthood in her career, really maximizing her strengths and building her life around them, which is awesome to see. Yeah, absolutely. I love how creatively she managed um, some of the difficulties in school. Um, And I think, you know, a really big take home um, that I hope other people who identify as dyslexic um, have got from Harriet's story is that being dyslexic doesn't, sorry, is that being dyslexic doesn't say anything moral about you or doesn't say anything about your goodness as a person or your worth as a human being or your intelligence. And I love that uh, Harriet was able to kind of get to that place in her life. Mm. So thanks everyone for listening. And We have our social media pages that if you'd like to check out and like, that would be great on Facebook and Instagram. Our ADHD petition where we're asking for fair and equal treatment for people with an adult diagnosis is still going. We're nearly at 3,000 signatures. So please check that out, sign and share. Thanks, guys. Catch you next week.